had a very, very uh, uplifting time as we were in Malaysia together at a school of statesmen, uh, which is how God is going to invade the different systems of this world, political, educational, financial, family, religious, and uh, arts and entertainment, all those areas the kingdom of God must advance in those areas. Amen. Hey, don't, don't look at that. Listen to me. That, we'll come on to that in a minute. All these areas have to be taken by you and me, by the church. Amen. So it was a very, very powerful time. And uh, David and I was, was uh, in Dr. Jonathan's church. Very, very powerful. Very powerful. Okay. If you have your Bible... No doubt, you're looking at the screen. You know, the thing about using PowerPoint is that you look, you look at the PowerPoint and don't listen. And the other thing sometimes is that you don't read, you don't bring your own Bible because you, you rely on the screen. Once I sense that, I'll remove it again. It's there for our advantage, but it's not there for our ease. Does that make sense? We, this, you know, you must all carry your own word. Bring your own Bible to, to, to the church. Because it's not about you reading, uh, reading scriptures when I'm speaking. It's about God speaking to you through the service. You need your own Bible at the side. So in Romans chapter 16, verse 16, it says, Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Now, we don't greet one another with a holy kiss, do we? No, we don't. We, in our culture, we shake hands. Or we pat. Or we just put our arm around each other. And that's the way we do it. In this country, I'm speaking, I'm continuing from, in our series from clean to pure. Why are we going from clean to pure? Well, because Jesus told the disciples, John 17, he said, you are already clean because of the word I've given you. So if you're born again and you're a believer, Jesus has already given you something that's made you clean. Through your confession of faith, Christ has made us clean and the word inside us, does that make sense? So we're clean. Now we're moving from clean into purity. We're going from just being cleansed, forgiven, into our lives being cleansed. Every area of our life being cleansed. Does that make sense? Our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions, our behavior. All those things need to be purified so that we become one with God. So he says, greet one another with a holy kiss and all the churches of Christ send their greetings. But in Matthew 26, it says, while he was still speaking, speaking of Judas that is, one, um, one of the twelve arrived with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priest and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with him. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once, Jesus, Judas said, going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings rabbi, and he kissed him. So Jesus replied, friend, do what you came for. Then the man stepped forward, seized Jesus and arrested him. Interesting how Jesus called him friend. Not your dead leg, your scuffer. Mancunian terms, no. He called him friend. Now here we have two different types of kisses. Kiss, both kisses symbolize something very, very different. And do symbolize. See, when the French kiss or the Middle Eastern people kiss, it's either cheek to cheek. Now, they keep telling me it's, going for, it's increasing. It used to be one, two. Now it's one, two, three, four, five. It's like, just get it over with. You can't, you can't beat shaking hands. You can look at the dude in his eyes then. But this, it's like, sheesh. I understand why God give you the handshake, the right hand of fellowship. So we see that in different cultures around the world, greeting one another is a custom that people have. Amen? But in this scenario, the two kisses symbolize something completely different. And the word we're using is motive. Last time we talked about motive, well, I wanted to carry on and, and continue about motives. God must clean, purify our motives. The motives of our heart. Everyone has them. And God must cleanse everything that's in our hearts. Why we do things is a word motive. And here we see that Judas uses the kiss as a signal. 
It's a sign. In other words, his kiss was insincere. His kiss was not pure. It was deceitful. It was evil. In fact, the kiss was going to start the very, it was going to open the floodgates for, all, for Calvary to begin. From there, Jesus would be arrested. From there, he would be taken. From there, he would be beaten and flogged. So the kiss opened up the door for a prophetic fulfillment. The kiss was powerful, but it carried a different motive. But Jesus understood his motive. That's why he said, friend, do what you need to do. But you see, when it tells us to greet one another with a holy kiss, how many of you know there can be an impure motive there? You've got eyes for a certain lady in the church. You want to greet, you want to kiss her coming in, kiss her going out, kiss her in the car park. That's a different motive. That means, hey, I like you. That's a different motive. Where Judas had one kiss, but his kiss symbolized something very, very powerful. It was deception. It was evil. Amen? So we need to, com we need to continue ministering on, on, on this whole issue of motives because if there's one thing that's going to be scrutinized in the days ahead is your motives. It's amazing how many people serve in church because they want to be seen. Not everybody who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because people have different motives. The sons of Sceva had a different motive for wanting to deliver people. Everyone has a different motive. And God will challenge our hearts. So, everyone has a, a tendency to have what we call an inclination. An inclination is an interest or a liking for something. Anybody got any interests? Anybody got any liking for something? Ladies, does the word chocolate mean anything? Shoes. Shopping. Uh, gambling. Whatever. People, it's an inner urge. And uh, for guys, it might be cars. It might be sport. It might be hobbies. But we all have them. Do we not? We do. We do. And anyone who's got a bank balance knows. Factor number one that shapes our motivation. Psalm 55, 21. Am I on that scripture? Trouble with this thing, John. We, we worked out the other day. Here you go. That shape our motivations. You know, his speech is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. Wow. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. His speech is smooth. Anybody know anyone who's got smooth, silky speech? But yet, in their heart is war. Wow. What a powerful scripture. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. See, everything we say and everything we do has a motive behind it. It does. It either comes out of our emotions. Emotions carry motives. And everything we say, sometimes certain people, everything they say seems to evolve around them. Have you noticed? Whatever you say comes back to them. And it's, it's, it's me-based rather than others-based. It's amazing that when someone chooses to have an abortion, which is a very powerful choice to have, it's based on them and their life, how it will affect them and their life. My choices, my career, my future, but what about the child? It's so easy to, to just cast, to not, to, the baby can't speak for itself, so you speak for it. And you decide. Later on in life, you, made, you come to a place of regret, but you can't change it. The decision is irreversible. So it can't be our motives, can't be based on us. This is why our motives have to be cleansed. Because God wants us to have love for others, not just for ourselves. The Bible does say we have to love ourselves. but we, it, Because no man can love others if he does not first love himself. That doesn't mean to say full of yourself. Or filled with self. It means you must be at least be at peace with yourself in what God is doing in your life, who is created, and what he's created you to be. Yes? 
Pure motives want things to be out in the light. See, Judas wanted his motive to be in the dark, remain in the dark. You cannot believe that this guy walked around with Jesus knowing that Jesus had discernment. Jesus could read the, the hearts of people. This was the same Jesus that when they tried to stone the woman, he knew what was in their hearts. Judas saw all that. So why did he think he could go to Jesus, kiss him and betray him without Jesus knowing? Because he was stupid is the answer. Judas wasn't as smart as he thought he was. But Judas was full of himself. Can you imagine? Just 30 pieces of silver. Is that it? Is that what I'm worth? Why sell me and sell yourself so short? So pure motives need, you know, want things to be out in the light. David prayed, give me a pure heart. In 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore the judge, he says, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and he will expose the motives of men's hearts. Wow. At that time, each will receive praise from God. There's a time where God will bring everything that's hidden in your life out. Sometimes God gives you promotion just to see what's inside your heart. Very often, God allows us to go through trials to see what's inside our hearts. How many of you know God's watching? God's working. He's watching, he's working his ways, his will into our lives. So he has to expose us to certain environments to show us what's inside our hearts so that when we see what's in our hearts, we don't like what's in it. So we come before him and we say, Lord, change my heart, oh God, teach me your ways. I don't like what I'm seeing inside my own heart. It's an amazing thing that when God begins to show you what's inside your own heart, how you have a distaste for it. You say, Lord, cleanse me. Get it out of my heart. I don't want it in. But an evil man or a man who doesn't want, or a woman who doesn't want to be walking into the light will always want to hold on to the dark. Because they think that they'll be protected and unseen, but God sees what's in our hearts. So we might as well confess it and ask him to cleanse us and change it. But that takes a different kind of mindset to see that. We're always quick to see what's in someone else's heart. But we forget that if I can see, why can't they see? Maybe they can see what's inside my heart. Maybe that's why my phone doesn't ring. Maybe that's why I don't get invited to parties. Because people have already seen what's inside my heart and don't want to be associated with it. Just a question. Motives will reveal the nature of our will. Do you know your, your will as a nature? Your will as a nature. Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. That was his nature to do his father's will. That was his nature. Paul says, leaving everything behind, I press on to that which I've been that which has laid hold of me, that which has taken over my life. Why? I don't want that anymore. I want this. This is my, I'm going to use my will to push into that which God's got for me. You've got to use your will. Your will is a huge part of your life. So Jesus gave them the answer. Have we got it on there? No. John 5, 19, 20. Jesus gave them the answer. I'll tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself, but listen. He can only see, he can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than this. Jesus shows us that he was only motivated by his own father's will. Nothing motivated Jesus on the earth except his father's will. Did you know that? Everything Jesus, every house he went to, every, every head he prayed over, every conversation he had was en route to his destiny. Jesus didn't waste time. Jesus didn't chill out with the lads drinking beers and watching movies. Why? Because he was on his father's assignment. Now you and I have downtime. When you've only got three and a half years, you haven't got a lot of downtime. Hello? Hello? If Jesus, listen, if God spoke to you tonight and says, in three and a half years, I'm taking you home, how do you think you'd live your life? Seriously. 
if you had three and a half years left, an angel of the Lord turned up in your bedroom tonight and said, lo, behold, the, the son of man has spoken and has come with a message to tell me, in three and a half years, you're coming home. Put your house in order. Get your assignment online. You're coming home. You would live life differently. That is for sure. You would prioritize what needs prioritizing. True? You'd move column A to where column A should be. Hopefully in column A. But you'd move heaven and earth to put everything right because why? You would now live by a healthy fear that you're going home. But guess what? That mandate has already been given. You are going home. You just don't know the time or the moment or the circumstance, but you're going home. True? You will be going home. That is for sure. So pack your suitcase, get ready. But before you do that, you've got your father's assignment to do on the earth. Motives, motives. Jesus showed us that it was only his father's will that he wanted to show and share with us. So when he spoke to the disciples, all the time he kept saying, it's my father's will. He showed them the father's will. His motive was open. Amen? He used the nature of his will. So in 1 John 5, he said, this message we have heard from him who declare to you, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we don't have the truth. You hear that? If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by truth. Why? Because we live by a different motive. So then he goes on to say, but if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. In 1 John 29, the next day, John saw Jesus come in towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he has sent before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. John used his will to reveal the Christ. John used his own will. What are you using your will for? Church, listen, listen to what God's saying to you. What are you using your will for? To what purpose? To what end? You must use your will. You must set your heart. This week in Authentic Discipleship, God spoke to us and, <coughs> and said, this is not a course. This is not a class. This is something we set our hearts towards. By the way, the questions are on the back of the table. I got to tell you. Take the questions, work them through. There's enough questions. If we run out, we'll get some more photocopied. Don't worry. But all the questions are there for you. Though there's 10 questions there, don't worry. They're for you to work out yourself. When you meet in your groups, you may not go through all those questions. You might only go through two or three of them. But the issue, that sheet is there for you to work out. Okay? You got that, church? You work that out. But what are you using your will for? Hopefully, you'll pick that sheet up and you'll use your will. You'll set your will towards praying those things through and working those things through. Seriously, church, I really want you to work through that sheet. This is what God is speaking to us about. It's no use... If we don't listen to this, if we don't take that sheet and work those things through proactively and actively, there's no point. All it's become is a class. It cannot become a class. It cannot become a course. It must become our life. Amen? So the reason why I came baptizing, the reason, there's the motive. It was out in the light. I didn't hope that Jesus would give me promotion. No, I came to reveal him. When you set your will tomorrow to speak to someone, your will is, should be to reveal. I go for a coffee every morning. I was telling Phil, go for a coffee. Different shops, because I, like, I don't want them to, uh, just don't want to keep looking at the same face every morning. So I go and share the love around. And I go and uh, get a coffee. And there's been a girl there who I've been talking to, young uh, Katie, been talking to her for a while now. And uh, just been talking about travel. She went away for the first time this year. And uh, this morning, I've been talking to her about three, three months, must be. And then on Sunday, uh, Saturday morning, she said, what do you do? I said, I'm a minister. Well, I never thought you'd be a minister. I said, well, why would you think that? She said, well, you don't look like one. 
I said, that's good. That's good. If I don't look like one, I said, that's good because it changes your image of what you think one is. So the door's open. We're in there. We keep talking. Why? My only will, my only motive is to reveal Christ. Just three months of ch- talking, ordering toast and coffee. We've gone from co- coffee now to toast, don't we? Just doing that, church, just being, my motive is clean to, to reveal Christ. I've invited her to the church. It's that simple. Three months. I suffered for three months, drinking coffee and eating toast. Not for my benefit, Katie, but for yours. Motives reveal our true intent. Amen? Motives reveal our true intent. Judas, when he kissed and betrayed, he really revealed his true intent. His intent was to sell Jesus, to sell him. But you know, Jesus didn't see it as selling him. Jesus saw it as he sold him into his destiny. There's a difference. What Judas thought he was selling him, Jesus actually saw he was actually sowing him into his destiny. There's a difference. That's good, that. You write that down. It's free of charge. Motives reveal our true intent. 2 Corinthians 2.9. The reason I wrote to you, there's the reason, was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I'll also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for our sake. For your sake, sorry. In order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are unaware, for we're not unaware of his schemes. See, the true intent means I will forgive because I do not want the enemy to outwit us. Notice, he's moving from me to us. I will forgive so the enemy will not outwit us. Can you see that? It's gone from me to us. His intent is for for the bigger picture. You see that, church? It's not for for him. It's true motive, his true intent was to protect the wider body of Christ. It wasn't just for him only. You know, the second factor that shapes us is our willingness to allow God to search our own hearts. You know, it's so important that God searches our hearts. You know, this machine does my head in. The second factor that shapes us is our willingness to allow God to search our hearts. Chronicles said this to uh, Scripture there, 1 Chronicles. It says, And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with all-hearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart. He understands every motive behind the thoughts. Can you imagine that? God searches every heart and searches the motive behind everyone's heart. So there's not a person in this building right now who God doesn't know and God who isn't searching. Wow, that's pretty powerful to think that. When you have a private conversation, God's already searched our hearts and it's exposed before God. We can't lie to God, but we can lie to one another. It's like, well, God, if you give me this, Lord, I'll do that. God says, listen, you can't hide it back from me. You can't make, you can't do a blind negotiation with me. You can't con me. I know your motive. And you see, when you're backsliding, you do deals with God, don't you? Or you think you're doing deals with God. God, if you do this for me, I promise I'll come back and serve you. God knows you're a liar. God knows you're a liar. I used to do it time and time again. But I used to think in my wisdom that God, he doesn't really know. And then one day I got a revelation. Actually, God, why was you merciful to me? He said, now there's a revelation, Tony, you need of me. My mercy towards you, your stupidity. And I thought, then I began to realize he knew all the time. It's like your dad knowing you were smoking. You come in and you think, oh, my dad doesn't know I've been smoking. I told you the day when my dad discovered me smoking. When I walked across this field and I saw him, he had this cigar in my mouth thinking, the big macho man. And I saw him and my fear was, I ate the cigar. (laughs) I ate the cigar and swallowed it. Oh man, it was foul. And he didn't, he didn't even know it. And it was your, your Paul on, on the day I got married. He, that was the best man's speech. And my dad, 
just killed himself. He didn't see it, but I thought he'd saw me. I thought, you've wasted a good cigar there. But I ate a cigar because I thought he'd seen me. Because I, I didn't think he knew I smoked. Of course he did. He could smell it on you. You can smell cigarettes a mile off, can't you? If you don't think nobody knows you smoke, think again. We can smell you coming. Never mind see you coming. But you don't see that as a smoker. It's true. God has to show you your own heart. For when he does, shows you your own motives, he leaves you in no defense. I like that about God. When he, when he, when he exposes you, he exposes you good. Yeah? 2 Chronicles 30, 32, 30 says this, it was Ezekiah who blocked the upper outlet of Gion Spring and channeled the water down to the west side of the city of David. He succeeded in everything he undertook, but when the envoys were sent by the rulers of Babylon to ask him about the miraculous sign that he had occurred in the land, God left him, listen, to test him and to know everything that was in his heart. God will leave you to test you. God will leave you to test you. Oh, but he'll never leave or forsake me. It's not the same kind of leaving. It's almost like he takes a step back. He's not left you. He's not abandoned you. How many of you know Adam was not alone, but he was alone in the garden? Yeah? Adam, God's presence was in the garden, but Adam didn't feel it. So Adam felt alone, but he was never alone. And Adam was not lonely. Yeah? I can see your faces are thinking about that one. Okay? But God takes a step back. And David prays this many, many times in in the Psalms. Lord, where are you? Even Jesus said it. Father, where are thou? Why have you forsaken me? I haven't forsaken you. I'm right here. God takes a step back so he can see what is in our hearts to test us. Sometimes God will take a step back to test you to see what's inside your own motives. And then in Psalm 30, uh, 139, verse 23, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Here's the, here's the heart of a man who wants his motives out there. God, search me, know me. I want to put everything out there so there's nothing the enemy can use in my life. Test me and know me, my anxious thoughts. Who's got any anxious thoughts? The Bible says, know me, test my anxious thoughts. And see if there's any offensive way within me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Listen, a righteous man prays this. Someone who's on the run from God does not pray this. Only someone who wants to pursue the heart of God will pray, Lord, test me, show me. Only a righteous man. A righteous woman, an unrighteous man or an unrighteous woman does not have righteous behavior. That's why they're called unrighteous. In case you didn't know that. So he says, David's showing us that God is merciful. If you run towards him, God's very merciful. But if you run away from him, it can be very, very difficult for you. And in Psalm 51, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you prove right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from my time. My mother conceived me. Wow. You know, many of you know, David acknowledged God. He recognized that God is the king of hearts. God was playing cards. He'd be the king of hearts. There you go. David said, show me my thoughts and any unwholesome, clean motives behind my thoughts. David desired truth in his innermost parts. He desired pure, clean, and steadfastness. Anyone can serve in a church? But do you serve out of impure motives or pure motives? What is your reason for being in the position or wanting to do the things you want to do? What is, the, what is your reason for asking God, Lord, put me on my destiny? You know, what you'll find is you can be in power, in a position of power, but have no power. Politicians have power The office carries power, but they don't really have any power. You know, the people have more power than them. God has more power than the people. Do you know they're subject to the voters, to electorates? So people, you can be in a position of power, but have no power. We don't want to be in a position of power and have no power. I don't want to be the pastor and have no power. 
godly power. I don't want power over you. Why do I need power over you? The only power I need is to influence. That's the only power I need is to influence people's lives, not control them. I don't want to control your life. I have a problem controlling my own life, leading my own life. I want to do what he says, do it his way for your benefit so that your obedience about what he's saying through my mouth leads to your prosperity. Does that not sound a good deal? The third factor that shapes us, shapes us is the sin we allow to live within us. Ooh. I'm sure Greta shared in a testimony that uh, she had to make a journey. She had to make a journey in her own heart. She had to let go and give in. We all have to let go and give in so we can make a journey. That's the battle in your life and my life. Letting go, trusting God, giving in. Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. But when you heard this morning her testimony, the fruit of her now giving in to God's will is standing here in front of us. Doesn't it seem logical now that it seems to be the only way? I'm sure Gret, if she, if she went through that again, she said, you know, I could, cut half, I could cut the misery in half just by doing certain things. We all could learn from that. Amen? We could all learn from that. Daniel resolved in his own heart, in Daniel 1.8, Daniel resolved not, not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief officials for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, why did he do that? Why? Because Daniel knew and saw that the food that had been given to the king had been offered to idols. So it wasn't just about David think, uh, Daniel thinking, I tell you what, I'm going to go on a slim fast diet, I'm going to show them that my food's better than theirs. It wasn't that. He was about, he saw the bigger picture. He saw how the food was being given to idols and he thought, I'm not going to eat this food and defile myself. And he would not allow sin to live inside his heart. Now surely that's a good thing, is it not? We can't go around, we can't go beyond the perimeters of sin. We must confront it. We must confront it head on. You know, it's amazing when you look at the in the Bible. Some right characters. Noah was drunk. Jacob was a liar. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. Peter was a denier. Judas was untrusting. Demas was unreliable. Mark was un, uh, unstable. And yet, God still uses you and me. It's amazing. It's amazing how God wants to use us. And Paul was a religious murderer. Yeah. And the Samaritan woman had five different husbands. For all these guys carry faults, just like you and I. But God was bigger than their sin. Thank God for that. The permanence of sin within your own heart and my heart is a very, very serious factor in God. You know, God is the exterminator of sin. You know that. He hates sin. And he doesn't like it in your heart because you know why? Sin destroys his relationship with you and me. In God, there is no sin. So the only way to get rid of it is to confess, to repent and get it out of our lives. The enemy sets traps. God creates trials. There's a different. A trial is meant for you to grow. A trap is meant to ensnare you kill you there's a difference God does not trap us God does not tempt us in that way but God is trying to help us in our trial to grow beyond sin so we become sinless amen we should be sinning less in our lives the more we mature we should be sinning less than when we were immature we sin plenty but as we get more mature in God our attitudes our motives our will should result in more fruit being produced and less sin. That's a sign of a, a believer. He sins less. If he's at the altar every week, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And Paul, uh, sorry, David, you know, he said, for day and night in Psalm 32, he said, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summers. Have you ever felt like that? When you've been, when you've been caught in sin, 
and you feel like everything with inside you is dying. God's hand is heavy upon you. Your strength is sapped. Then you acknowledge your sin and you didn't cover up your iniquity and you confess it before the Lord and then you feel the waters of the Holy Spirit coming in, cleansing you, lifting your guilt off you. It's a beautiful thing to, to, to recognize that I have no guilt before God anymore. I'm clean. It's out there. I've talked to him about it. It's no longer a secret. The enemy can't, you know, get to me about it. I'm talking to my father about it. It's a beautiful thing to be in that place where you know you can put it down and, and, and it's not going to be exposed to anybody else. That your father's got it covered. Amen? It's a beautiful thing. And, and, then he, and you know, there David, he said, and while you were, um, therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while he may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I told you, my dream, my desire is to hear God singing over me. That's my, when I read that, I said, God, my desire before I leave this earth is to hear you sing over me. I want to hear what you sing, how you sing. I want to hear your voice. I want to hear God's lullaby over my life. I tell you. I know some of you feel romantic about that, but it's not romantic, it's powerful. To hear God sing over you, that's what I'm going for. That's mine, you can't have it. Get your own. The fourth factor that shapes us is our ability to quickly repent. How quick? So we've got sin in our life, how quick can we, can we get it out of our life? Does it take you weeks, months, years? How long does God have to keep speaking to you about the same things for you to stop? I've got my hand up, sometimes, a long time. Anybody else willing to say, yeah, me too? Yeah. So we're all dead legs. God wants us to, to bring this to an end very quickly. He says, guys, there's only going to be one person who's going to get hurt, and it's not going to be God. It's going to be you. So... Repentance is, is a reconsidering of a decision, yeah? And then it's based on understanding a new truth. So if, if you see that God loves you and wants to forgive you, you decide upon that new truth and move towards that new truth. And you begin to let go and let God. So if I tell Phil, Phil's a sinner, coming into the church, he begins to hear about God's mercy, God's forgiveness, God's love. He then makes the decision in his own heart and thinks, you know what? It's a great offer, this. I'm going to move towards it. As he moves towards the new offer, he reverses his old lifestyle and reverses his old decision. No, rather than keeping hold of it, he lets go of it. We all need that revelation. It's not a once revelation. It's a revelation continually we need to have. That God, that every time God shows me his nature, his mercy, his forgiveness, I must constantly reverse my old decision and move towards what he's offering. Yeah? We must constantly keep moving towards what he's offering. But if you like where you are, then guess what? There'll be no reason for you to let go of it. And many of us like our sin. It's comfortable. It's convenient. Anybody felt like that? Yeah. It's convenient, but it's not good. It's killing you. Because you can't see the immediate effects. You don't think it's killing you. But sin brings death. And it's not death when you, not, it's not final death. It's spiritual death. Spiritual death starts the moment sin enters into your heart. And then we know, spirit, sin can create physical death. It can bring physical death as much as spiritual death. Yeah? How many of you know that coming to your senses and coming to the end of your ways are two different things? For time's sake, the prodigal son in, in Luke 15, verse 14, he says, after he had spent everything, here's the point, after he'd spent everything, he's now in the pigsty. And he's so hungry that he's trying to feed on the same food that the pigs have been eating and are also releasing. So it's a mess. And he's trying to eat it. And then all of a sudden he comes to his senses and he goes, 
Why am I eating this? Why am I in this situation? Sometimes the muck tastes good. Other times the muck tastes bad and the muck brings you to your senses. You ever been there? Where you just, you think, what am I doing? I need to let go and go back and humble myself and go back. But he'd let his life get to the point where he's in a pigsty. And then all of a sudden he has this uh, ha moment where he says, my dad has got a house and a state. He's got everything in it. And I'm here eating this rubbish. If I go back and humble myself, my father might forgive me. There's a picture of you and I in our relationship. The world is the place, the pigsty. He's on the run. He wants all his pleasures. He wants all his, his inheritance right now. He's living for the now moment. Only to realize that the heavenly father is offering him something that it was always offering him something, but he had to get, he had to live it, um, he had to follow the desires of his own heart first before he came to a realization that the place he was in is not good. Many of us cannot see that the place we're in is not good. So we stay there much longer and we enforce others around us in our lives to eat the same rubbish that we're eating because they're connected to us. Hello? Your sin just does not, your sin and disobedience just does not only affect you. It affects those who are connected to you. Those who are connecting with you. If I sin, how many of you know if I sin, it will affect you? Now say, let's just say you don't know. Do you not think it doesn't affect you or do you think it only affects you when you know? It should affect you straight away. Why? Because the spiritual water level in this house will drop. Why? Because God can't use an unrighteous vessel. Oh, I'll perform like a seal. I'll clap. Because that's all I'll have left. I'll revert back to the natural. And I'll do what I know I can do rather than doing what I do through his strength. I don't do, do what I do through the natural. You don't see how I pray. Lord, if you don't turn up today, I'm gone. I need your strength. God, what are you saying this morning? I can give a Bible study. I've got enough inside me to do the things naturally. But I don't want to go that way. I don't ever want you to see Tony natural. Because I want you to have the same life that I'm having. Because this is what God wants for us. And the moment I don't do that, I'm gone. I'll be like all the others who have been here. Gone. So... I don't want, and, and this guy has been living in the natural and he's affecting everything. He's affecting his father's heart for, 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 you know, for one. So then he goes back, but he still yet hadn't come back to the end of his ways. He only came to his senses. It wasn't until he goes back to his father, asks him forgiveness. His father puts the robe on, puts a ring on, brings the fatted calf out, that he comes to the end of his ways. See, right now, you know what I'm saying is true. You've come to your senses. But will you come to the end of your ways? Because by the time you get out of here and you're eating a sausage down your neck and someone's having, and someone's having a conversation with you and you think, oh, forget it. Now, I was convicted for the minute. But now will I bring what has been said to the end of its day? Will I get in line with what God is truly saying? You know, I know that because we've all done it. We've all done it. You're not the only dead leg. <laughs> now, here's the, let me just show this very quickly. When the process of coming to your senses to come to, and coming to the end of your ways begins, it starts with what we call the truth stimulus. Truth stimulus is the presentation of another truth or a higher truth. So, Phil's sinning. Then all of a sudden... He hears the gospel or he hears the message and he hears a higher truth being presented to him. Does that make sense? So now he's challenged, he's affected by this higher truth. It's called the true stimulus. Second, then comes a comprehension. In other words, an understanding. From a higher truth comes a greater insight and understanding. Because a problem, yeah, ready for this? A problem cannot be solved at the same level it was created. 
A problem is not solved at the same level it was created. It takes a higher insight to bring a new solution. Hello? Do you understand that? So a new comprehension. But how many times are we too embarrassed to acknowledge it? Or to go and ask help? So we've got a new understanding, we've got a new truth, a new understanding. Then what happens is we begin to consider in our minds. We begin to weigh up now. So we've gone from a truth to an understanding to now we weigh up what's being said. Yeah? Do I really want to give this life up? Do I really want to let go of what I've been enjoying? Do I really want to let go of what I've been doing with my life? So now we've gone through three levels. Truth comprehension, consideration. Then you come to the fourth level, which is called compunction. The truth hits you so clear that you accept it and fully begin to see what you need to do. Does this make sense? It fully hits you and you think, you know what? I've got no other option. I have to change my ways. God speaks to you in such a way that you think, I can no longer keep doing what I'm doing. I have to let go now. The day I walked through this door, this church for the first time, a guy, was it Andy Keith? <coughs> a, young lad, a young man was preaching by the name of Andrew Keith. He was preaching. And what he was preaching didn't make an awful lot of sense. A lot of what he said didn't make sense. But there was an element when I went through the true stimulus. And I went to the comprehension, I went to the consideration, and I went to the compunction stage, and I knew that I could not keep running from God any longer. Today was a day when salvation was going to come to my house, and I was going to take on this, new, this God, and I was going to walk on with God in a relationship that I'd never had before. I'd been going to church for seven years. I got saved, that's all I did. But here now was a yield, the beginning of a yielding of my life. And as I knelt down here and I came to the front, I realized that my life was going to change. It could not carry on the same way. Has anybody ever felt like that? And that was the beginning of God putting me on my destiny. And for me to be stood in front of you today, that's where it started. The compunction hit me. Then we go over the next day when we, now we reverse our actions. We, let, we, we begin to let go. After the truth has come in, there's a change of decision. This now leads to true, uh, true repentance. We begin to think and act and behave totally different. Has anybody been there? And then the last area is we begin to stay on course. We hold on to our course. Amen? We do 180 degrees. Has anybody ever gone through that? That's exactly what God's going to bring you through. Every time you let go of your old way, that comes to your life. That process comes to your life every time. And it, ha it happens in seconds. Hopefully it's happening right now. A truth's come. My motives are not right. A truth's come. You've comprehended it. You've now considered it. You've now been hit by the compunction of this truth. I must let go of it. I'm not going back to it. And hopefully by the end of the today, you'll reverse something and you'll stay on course. This happens every, every time we come into the presence of God. Every time you come into the presence of God, you go through that stage. And it happens in seconds. Mary said, when the word came to her, let it be unto me as you have said. Straight away, stimulus hit her, comprehension, compunction. Reversal. I'm not going back. I'm going to take this word. I don't have to understand it. I'm going to carry it forward. And she stayed on course. All in one sentence. That's exactly what happened. Wow. Woo. And finally, the last factor that shapes you is transparency. Transparency. Woo. This is a big one. Transparency. You see, you must provide people an opportunity to speak into your life. 
If someone can speak into your life without you shutting down, pulling back, taking offence, then you're on the way to having a pure, transparent life. But very often, we don't want that. We pull back, we shut down, we run away, and we're not transparent. The biggest problem we have as a human being is to think that, is that because that people will hurt us. If we open up to them, people will hurt us. But this is not necessarily the truth. Because not all people are the same. And why? Because not everyone carries the same impure motives. But the Bible says in Proverbs 16:2, All of a man's ways are in his seem innocent to him, but the motives are weighed up by the Lord. Do you realize how much is in the Bible about motives? Do you realize? Scripture is littered with the motives of men's hearts. It's not a silent subject. It's a big subject. In Exodus 33, verse 12, he said, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have to let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. That was transparency right there. Remember this, that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, listen, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Why? Because Moses was transparent. Moses became transparent. The Lord says, I'll go with you and I'll give you rest. Why? Because I can see that I can talk with you and deal with you very easy. Because you live an open life, an open book. Ever heard that phrase, an open book? God can do so many things with you when, you when you become willing to live your life like an open book. Now, let me just preface this by saying, you also have to guard your heart around certain people. You know, the doors of this church are open to everyone. But the door of my heart isn't open to everyone. Why? Because some people want to kill, steal and destroy you. So what you do, you step back, you watch them, you observe them. You give them enough time, enough space to function. And as you begin to see how they, how they function, then you open your heart towards them. Then you allow them to come into the, the lobby. Yeah? Then you allow them to come into the, the living room. Then you may allow them to use the bathroom. Where your relationship, you might have to cleanse them. Yeah? And then you may get into the bedroom where it's intimate. In other words, you allow such an intimacy to come into your relationship. Keep it clean. I'm not talking about sex now. Relationship. So if you use the, if you use the, the, the rooms of your natural house in, rela in, in relation to relationship, people pass through your house at different levels. Now, you don't let anyone just walk into your bedroom. True? Some people you keep at the door. The door's open, but you keep them at the door. Other times you let them come into your living room. You might, some people get to the kitchen where you might give them a meal. Others, will you let them use your bathroom. But the, hey, the, the, the upstairs is very, very private. In fact, the most room, the only room you're going to use in my house is my bathroom. You're not coming to my bedroom. Only me and Carol can go in there. Even Scott doesn't come in. And that's the way we should be with people in life. We should let them walk through the door slowly. Let them earn the trust, but keep your heart open, but guard it. Because we're not fools, are we not? The last scripture, Ephesians 4.22. You were taught with regard to your former way to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now listen, folks. Who's going to help you put off and put on in your life. So fair question. Paul tells us to put on and put off. Well guess what? There are some things that you can put off and put on. But there are other things that only other people can help take off your life. And put into your life. But if you are not open and not transparent. 
You won't let people put on or take off in your life. You'll never get developed. If you could develop yourself, you'd be a self-made man. We need others. We need others around us and with us to help put on and put off. But when we go to put on and put off, this is when we shut down, draw back, fight and resist. Amen? But you see, not all of us have a transparent life. Or we'll say, you know, I'm transparent with my wife and my wife only. Well, that's great. But what happens if you're both deceived? What happens if you both need help? That's not wrong to be open with your wife and to be transparent. That's absolutely part of the covenant. You must be. But some people say, I don't need anybody else. I've just got me and my wife. It's wrong. That's not true. That's not true. If you're in the body of Christ, he put you in a body. You and your marriage, he gave, he gave you your wife to complete you, right? But the body is what he's put you both in. The eye cannot see to the arm. It's, a, it's, it's an old scripture, but you know, it's, it's not something we have to keep debating. So I'm not a complete unit just on my own because then we both need spiritual help together. That's why we need to be in a family. We all need someone. Well, then it's just me and Jesus. Well, then you show me that in scripture. There's no such thing as just you and Jesus. Why? Because there's you, Jesus, and there's a body. You can't. You, can, you can't get away from it. You may decide to shut it out, ignore it, and run away from it, but that doesn't make it true. We need transparency. And if we're going to have, if we're going to move from clean to pure, a transparent life is what the Holy Spirit is going to seriously, seriously chase us for. Last time we had our building in the spirit, can you remember the levels that God took us through? Hello, church. That's a question. The levels that God took us through and our hearts were exposed. Why? There was a transparent factor. And then at the end of the night when we prayed, was the power there? The power was there because there was purity in the room. The power can rest when there's pure, when there's purity in the room. And that's what's going to happen more and more in the church. The more we keep moving into purity, you will see the power ratio. Listen, you're going to see the power ratio go higher and higher and higher. You will see it. Look at me. Look at me. You're going to be falling off your seats. You're going to be pinned to the floor. You're going to be supernatural healings are going to take place. Why? Because as the, the house gets cleaner and cleaner, the power gets stronger and stronger. You will see deliverances. You will have to raise, put your hands on people and cast demons out. Why? Because the very presence that's in the room will cast demons out. You'll, you, you know, you'll find that less prayer, less laying hands on people because God will be doing it in the church. Wherever you get cleanliness and purity in the church, God begins to dwell. His power, the reason why much of the church do not see his power, because the church is dirty. They've not moved from cleanliness to purity. And this is one of the things that we must pursue in our own lives. This is why God is relentless on my case to, make, to help you to push in this way. Do not isolate yourself. This is not a time for isolation. If you could look at your faces now looking at me, there's a, there's, a, there's a sense of uncertainty on your faces. Please, please, take this word into the Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit and you'll get his, you'll get his agreement because it's the same Holy Ghost that's telling me to tell you. So if the Holy Ghost is not saying yes, then there's contradiction somewhere. And the Holy Ghost is speaking to us. He said, pursue righteousness. That was the theme of our conference, Agents of Change. The first thing we stepped into in Agents of Change was a man, a righteous man. Noah was a righteous man. We looked at the life of Noah straight away. Then we looked at, we went to look at, throughout scripture of different areas where righteousness is pursued. Righteous people are pure people. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see Come on, finish it. They will see God. And we're going to see God moving in our house. And we are seeing God moving in our house because we are pursuing a righteousness. We're pursuing purity. We're pursuing peace. Why? Because at the moment you begin to set your foot on that course, the Holy Ghost says, go on, the wind's behind you. I'll blow on you in this direction.
Because this is where you'll see Christ manifest in your life. Have you noticed over the last six months, the testimonies are getting more and more frequent? Come on, church, recognize what God's doing in our midst. The testimonies are getting more and more frequent. Why? Because God's dealing with our hearts in such a way. You get the nine years, the 13 years, the eight months, the two weeks. Miracles are happening all the time. All these things happen because we press in for them. It's only going to accelerate. 2014, you'll see another acceleration. Because what God is doing with us, he's showing you, for some people, it's never enough. You could raise the dead in front of them and they'll say, well, that was nice. Because miracles don't change anybody. They bless the person who's who's receiving them, but they don't necessarily convince everybody else. (coughs) It's true. So for the person who gets blessed, (coughs) excuse me, the person who gets blessed, they get blessed. But if it encourages you to pursue more and more intently, then it was now becomes your blessing. Amen? We've got to have this. We will have this. We pursue this. I'm believing next Friday. Yeah. Next Friday, someone's going to get saved. Start bringing the unsaved into this environment. This is not just an environment for you. This is an environment for everyone. People will get saved. Listen, once you're all healed, we need another, we need another lot. True? Once you're all delivered, we need another lot. So what? You're full, you're full and happy. Well, bravo. Bring all those who are not. Well, they might be a little embarrassed about our worship. You don't, what, what do you mean, embarrassed? That's not for you to work out. Because what you're saying is, it now reflects bad on me. Because I brought them. Shame on us. What do you mean? It's not about you. It's about them. You can't live that shame. It's not like he died for your shame. He took it off you. Katie's going to come through that door. And I'm going to lead strong. I'm not going to pull back because she's walked through the door. I'm not going to be embarrassed because she's in here. Because I know what's in here is able to touch her. It started to touch her when I was talking to her in the shop. It's not about what happens in here. It's what began out there. Why can't we believe that God is going to use us in a supernatural, powerful way? You have the easiest job in the world just to invite. So all you have to do. The rest is up to the Holy Ghost. Amen? And you think, well, you know, I don't like that. That person might not like this kind of music. Well, guess what? It's not about music. You've got to change your mindset. God is here, is he not? Is that your conviction? God is here. That's all you need. You got here. You didn't like the music. You didn't like the preaching. Some of you still don't like the preaching. But you're still here. Give them the opportunity. Well, my mates at school are going to laugh at me. They're already laughing at you. Just bring them. Seriously. Start bringing the unsaved. Watch God do a miracle in front of your life. Watch you become one of the greatest evangelists. Do you believe it? Tell your face. I believe it. I believe it. I really know that God's going to do these things in our midst. He's already doing them. He's already doing them. Miracles after miracles after miracles. God is doing it in our lives. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Our transparency. Come on, let's raise our hands before the Lord. Let's be transparent right now. Get our motives out there. Cleanse them, Lord. Reveal them. Be transparent before him. Come on, just be transparent before him right now. Say, Lord, like the prayer of David, if there's anything that is unwholesome in my life. Lord, test me, search me. Know if there's any anxious thoughts within me. Lord, I bring them before your throne this morning. Come on, pray this. I bring them before your throne this morning. Lord, cleanse my heart. Cleanse my stubbornness, stupidity, 
unwillingness, resentment, unforgiveness, anything that's in there, oh God, I ask you, Father, to show me so I can deal with it. You're merciful. Your hand will guide me in all this process. You will not expose me to the wolves. You'll not expose me to Satan. You'll not expose me to other man, but Lord, you will cover me. Because when I'm weak, then I am the strong. For the shadow of the Almighty rest above me. And I will bring my mind and my heart into peace, knowing, oh God, that I'm talking to you about these things and that, oh God, that these things will come to an end within me. Father, I ask you, whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but, oh God, you are my strength. You are the strength of my heart and you are the portion, my portion forever. Among the gods, there is none like you. O Lord, no deed can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord, and they will bring glory to your name. For you are great and you do marvelous deeds. You do them in my life. You do them in my life. And you will continue to do them in my life. For you alone are God. And here's your part now. Teach me your way, O Lord. And I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I'm going to praise you. O Lord my God, with all my heart, I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. For you alone are God. That's Psalm 86. Oh God, we love you. You are our portion. You are our delight. You are our strength and strong tower. For you alone are God. Hallelujah. Let's give him a standing ovation. <clears throat> yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, the cafe's open. If we can put these chairs away at some point, grab some toys out. The Lord bless you. Let's see you Friday. Hallelujah.